he was like, I'm sure this conversation between two white people about whiteness is going to go well. And I was like, <sighs> yep. Prophet, preacher, sermon leader, actor, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is a pastor? So listeners, in this episode, this mini episode, we want to talk about uh, how you, how you, interact with people who haven't been to seminary after having gone to seminary how to be a normal person after seminary does that sound right ethan yeah yeah all right so what does seminary do to you ethan seminary seminary was one of some of the most fun and most important stuff i've ever experienced and got to work through mm -hmm. um i really felt like i became an adult in seminary and i really felt like i came into my own and in a lot of ways and found the things that I really liked and I was really good at that weren't like Star Wars and Pokemon and professional wrestling. Nice, nice. Um, and, and so what, but one of the things that seminary does, particularly the one that Joe and I went to, um, and so I can't speak to others, is that it, it, it kind of helped, I always describe it as it, it helps us develop a language and a particular language practice for how we kind of conduct ourselves in uh, community with our peers in seminary and how and what would be appropriate and inappropriate ways of talking in like classes and so mm -hmm. what ends up happening for many of us particularly white folks and once again this is not a this is just as a white folk and as a <laughs> since joe is also white right uh i think that that we this is something that we have reflected on we we kind of learn a lot of um sort of default phrases um that that kind of oh gosh what do i want to say that kind of replace uh, actually shedding of our privilege. <laughs> Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, and so, right, and so rather than actually come to grips with our privilege as white people and, and do the kind of hard and difficult communal work of really shedding the privilege, really doing practical work to kind of um, uh, help us try to live a little beyond that and a little uh, in spite of that, we we instead adopt a number of phrases and a number of ways of talking that kind of uh, uh, keep us make make sure that we we appropriately ceremonially cringe, right. you know, when we talk, and uh, to kind of uh, shield us from having to kind of give up uh, the primary desire of all white people, which is to be right. right. <laughs> um, and so I, I'll catch myself doing it, you know, outside of seminary still, but I mostly do it outside of seminary when I'm talking to people I went to seminary with, like Joe. Yep, where, fair, fair. Where, uh, where, where, where we can't just kind of say what we mean. Prior to making our point, we have to be like, we have to say, you know, we have to qualify everything in a million um phrases and in a million things like well i'm just a white guy or or now keep in mind i could be wrong or or you know yada 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 um 
and then and then when we do say something if if one of us hears a phrase here's some here's a say something and we haven't done that work then the other one quickly jumps in to do that work for nobody <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i'm sure you've all heard me do this many many times <laughs> look like i'll say something i joe you do it a little bit more than i do but i still do it like i'll say something and then and then if, if, if Joe didn't hear all of the qualifiers that I said or didn't say, Joe will jump in and speak to the void, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with all of the qualifiers. What to say is. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's really difficult to put that down. And I, I find that I... I correct myself a lot in, uh, in Sunday school when I say something that I know is going to be indicative of, of me just living into my privilege. Uh, but everybody else in the room has the same level of privilege that I do. So I don't need to self-flagellate in this way, but I need them to know that the flagellation is, is, is necessary in other environments. And so I do it anyway. Um, yeah. And I, and maybe this is a, a bigger question of um, how do those of us who have been forced over and over again to confront our privilege, again, in, in not really helpful ways, in kind of like internet slacktivist kind of ways, um, how do we communicate the importance of at least acknowledging your privilege to other people who haven't even made that step? And I don't know that there's a good way to do that. Yeah, I think that ultimately, I think the best way to do that is just kind of live better. Yes. You know, like, like, and I think that's a tricky thing about, about seminaries. At this point, listeners, you have heard my recurring and tireless joke of renaming our podcast Liberal Shame. Yes. That, that's sort of what we're getting at. Like, mm -hmm. where that comes from is in part us being left-leaning liberal people. And that's, and shame is the only thing that we know how to do. We can only shame. We shame ourselves for everything. We shame our, Joe and I, in a couple, a couple of uh, many episodes ago, shamed ourselves for not being black. Yes. <laughs> like, like, we're like, we're terrible because we're not black. Like, 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 what the fuck am I talking about? You know, like, like, like it's, what do I even do with that? But like seminary also kind of helped help that along too. And, and this is one of the reasons why, um, uh, how do I want to put this, kind of unhelpful um, uh, uh, word performing, because that's right. really what it is, is, is we're really just performing a script mm -hmm. after a while, is, is part of what, where somebody like a, like a Tommy, uh, what's her name, Tommy Lauren? Yeah. That, that millennial white girl Republican pundit lady, you know yeah. who I'm talking about? Tony, I can't think of her name. Tommy Lawrence, something Aaron, like that. But yeah, who knows? Somebody's screaming it at us because they pay more attention to her than we do. Right, some some blonde-haired nightmare lady. That's what I call her. Oh, God. Um, but, she but like, she... Child of God. She would have to be. Um, <laughs> but, like, like, some of what she says really i think if i'm being sympathetic to her um and to others like her uh folks our age who who find themselves becoming radicalized on the right 
um, in many ways are responding to this kind of bad word performance mm. that that rather than um, rather than doing the kind of hard uh, and necessary work of really trying to get at how our practices promote our privilege mm-hmm. and and hurt others, we are instead trained to kind of be forced to follow the script. And I think that I think that that um, is is one of the reasons why uh, some folks our age find themselves more uh, kind of on the very loud and vocal right. Yeah, where, where it's like, well, the left, they just want to control you. Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I can see where that um, emotional response comes from. It's r- rather than at Wesley, we, you know, and I, I'm, I'm often very critical of Wesley. As much as I appreciate and, and love my time there, I'm very critical of the community there because the community by and large sucked. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was at least in my experience of it, you know, I met some great friends there like Joe and, 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 you know, and Corey and, and, and many others, but like the culture of the community there, like, like the community at large was pretty cutthroat and, and did not spend a ton of time exercising the virtue of patience with one another. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you had to learn the, the, the script fast. Yeah, or, and if you didn't, you would have 10 people saying that you were wrong. Exactly, exactly. And that's unhelpful. Like, like it's, it really is. Like, like, I learned the script relatively fast, but, but I also recognized that I was, doing a, I was reciting a script, yeah. you know, which, which is why I ended up, you know, in a lot of cases kind of just sort of stop talking. Like I was like, well, maybe it's just easier if I just read a lot and, and don't talk a ton because I don't actually want to recite the, all the scripts that I need to recite. Mm. Yeah. And the, the, there is a, a good version of, um, being a person who comes from privilege of which like everybody has some type of privilege um but being being a person who has all of the very clear and present privileges um to if you've never encountered before a viewpoint different from your own sitting back and listening right like that's just a that is just a fundamental thing that you have to do uh, in order to see the world in the way other people experience the world. Because you just, there's no way to experience the world outside of your own body and your own existence. Like you are, you are stuck with your perspective. But if you're listening to other perspectives, you get a bigger idea of what's going on. Like that's that very basic learning that like the world is not just the way I experience the world. And that's like, that's good and helpful. That's why everybody should be reading books by authors who are not the same gender, not the same race, not the same economic class, not the same nationality as them, like read works and translation. It's all these things are really important. At the same time, there becomes a, you, you do come to a point where it's like, yes, I know I need to be interacting with other perspectives and I am. So can I now be allowed back into the conversation? <laughs> like at what point in time have I, have I done enough work that I can walk into this and you know that I'm not being 
and ignorant shit about things that I like I'm doing the work and I'm here and I'm listening but also I exist too I don't you know at the end of that it sounds kind of like whiny white boy and so I can't with that but yeah it's 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 difficult because there is a real corrective that needs to happen but at some point in time like the corrective has happened and there is not that like the world needs I think about that with our podcast sometimes. The world doesn't need two more white people talking about stuff. But like at the same time, we do have kind of, we have perspectives that are not put out there as often because we are young pastors. And so we're kind of isolating variables in terms of like the different stories that get told. And we, it would be great if we could get colleagues of ours from seminary who are not white, who are also young pastors and how their interactions in the world are different and still the same and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but I think, I think it's really true that we do learn that these are all of the long list of caveats that I have to give before I can go forward with my point so that people know where I'm situated and the, the privilege that I'm working with. Uh, and I would, I would love for us to come to a world where we just acknowledge that like each person is coming from their own perspective and everybody has right. blind spots and we can just stop saying it. Yep. Yep. I agree. And even, you know, even uh, uh, how how you just sit it there, Joe. Like like the the kind of apology for who we are mm. um, is uh, is interesting because that I think that's something that we learned at seminary as well. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing that I don't think anybody intends for for people to 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 pick up. You know, uh, most of the gatekeepers that I met at seminary, most of the people who would jump on you if you started saying the wrong thing were were people who looked like us. That's true. You know, like, like it's, it's, there's incidents of lots of different people doing things like that, but like by and large, you know, they're, they're, they're the sense that I got from some folks was just sort of waiting to correct like like waiting to jump in and say, ah, but I am more progressive. <laughs> you right, know? and that's just intellectual laziness, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, and I just think it's funny that there is, in the real world, there's this, people are, don't want, you don't want to be a liberal snowflake, but you also don't want to be insensitive. And it's it feels like, the the goal is moving each time what's that logical fallacy where you're like moving the goalposts maybe uh yeah, just, i know what you mean I, I i can't think of the name yeah it, it just seems like every time you say something there's a new more correct way to say it and we need to again beat ourselves up for not having known it but there's oh god and i wish i think it's a maya angelou quote that's um uh, you didn't know before, but you know better, so do better. And that's mm. how I have begun to try to approach things is uh, not, except on this podcast, <laughs> like when I learn something new that I didn't know before, I'm really trying to not wallow in white guilt, but to be like, I know better, so I'm going to do better. Um, and the the problem comes in that like, good positive growth in terms of understanding other people's stories and things it's very hard to do that face to face and have somebody accept that 
as, um, as something as a new perspective or something they need to change. Like if you just, if you just go up to someone and say, you can't say that anymore, they don't respond really well to that. I think really a lot of my learning I've done by like lurking on Twitter and just listening to voices that are different from mine. And so I get a bigger picture and bigger perspectives without ever having to have somebody like be forced to correct me instead of, um, letting them put out something that changes changes how I see things without them having to, with them choosing the level of vulnerability they want to use. Like I, yeah. I have grown as a person in that way, doing stuff like that and reading books and all this kind of stuff. Like it is not the responsibility of people of color or women to change the minds of white people or men. It is there, like it is each our own responsibility to grow. And while we can only grow by other people sharing stories, we shouldn't have to force other people to be our educators. And it's 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 just work. That's what it is. Is that it's it is work of actively changing the voices that we hear so that we're hearing a more full perspective, and then acting on the suggestions of those voices. Uh, without without just doing the script. The script mm -hmm. is only helpful the first time you hear it so that you know what the things you need to be aware of. And then after that, it is it is a waste of breath. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a waste because it's, you know, it doesn't, if you're just telling people to follow the script, then nobody's really interested in substantial change. Yes. Right. And, and that's, and that's no good. That's, that's really the opposite of what you want. And I think seminary is my, my, the most positive experiences I had in seminary involved people who were more, who are most interested in, in substantial change, mm -hmm. you know, change of behavior, change of thinking, change of, of, of lots of things. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, if I may, if I can pass this judgment, the, the people who are more interested in following the script, are are finding things like ministry and life quite a bit harder mm. because because uh, the script doesn't mean anything when you leave seminary. Yeah, yeah. There's there are established bounds in seminary, and you can learn to work within that. But those bounds do not apply in the real world. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and then being frustrated at people who don't. Uh, measure up to the standard that you learned at seminary is also unhelpful. Like it's a national, it's a natural reaction to having been in that environment for the amount of time you were in that environment. You expect other people to know what you know, but you really very quickly have to come to a place of other people have not had this exact same experience that I've had. And therefore we need to find other ways to talk to each other and hold each other accountable. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. So, Jude, are you uh, happier with who you are post-seminary, or, or would you rather go back to the Joe before seminary? Oh, God. Uh, I was just thinking about this this morning, because I um, am in such a better place mental health-wise, but that has little to do with seminary. <laughs> um, <I know. laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. For me, I think I, and I think that I have... Uh, heavily alluded to, if not talked about all of this on the podcast. 
uh, for me, seminary wasn't like just gaining the knowledge. It was becoming aware that I had a lot of mental and emotional work to do uh, that I had been putting off for always because I thought that that's what you did with childhood trauma. And, and so a lot of seminary for me was um, going through that while also being continually overworked and exhausted and barely making ends meet. Um, and, and so it wasn't, there were so many other things in seminary that were happening. This is another thing that happened at Wesley is you have commuter students and you have students who are like, their only goal is to be learning right now. There's a big difference between somebody who has a work study job where you can only work a maximum of 15 hours a week and somebody who's working 40 hours in a full-time job and is taking like evening classes or classes when they can fit them in. And that's, uh, I floated between those two worlds because I had flexible hours with my jobs and I was only working like 35 hours a week. And so I took a lot of classes with commuter students which would end up being really frustrating because they wouldn't care about learning the script because they were still very grounded in the real world. Uh, but they also were just not very teachable in other ways. And that's not true of everybody who was a commuter student, but there were many commuter students who were like, I've been called by God to do this and seminary is just a box that I'm ticking. And so don't make me do something beyond what I want to do. And then among people who were full-time students were like, they were, maybe they had a job and they worked half-time or part-time, but primarily they were students. Those people were more immersed in that experience of like, let me, let me change as much of my mind as needs to be changed in this moment. Um, so like I got both sides of that. Um, and I found myself being drawn to, I know there are things in me that need to be corrected. And then my like perfectionist streak took over and was like, I, I got a psyche valve that said that I had emotional alienation, which means that I don't think feelings are important and I don't acknowledge that I feel them. And I, after getting that evaluation was like, well, fuck it, I'm going to feel all the feelings that I can feel. And then I felt an abundance of feelings that were overwhelming and too much for me to handle for the next two years. Um, but so like, I very much picked up on the script and was like, no, we have to do this and we have to do this right. Cause this is how I'm perfect. Um, and it, it was interesting to float between those two worlds. And I know that I grew as a person and I know that I grew in that environment. And I know that I have just so uh, such a, such a broad knowledge of things. Like I know there's a lot more for me to learn, but I feel like I kind of know, know the map of things to learn more or less, which is really helpful. Um, but like, when I go back to the person I was before seminary, some days like, it's a hard yes because <laughs> that person is comfortable and knows what she's doing and it's not been the like has not had to go through this upheaval but uh, i think the upheaval is necessary for me to be the person that i am um that said there are definitely some classes that i would go back in time and not have taken <laughs> oh sure so yeah i don't know wait do, do you yes you feel like you are a, a better person more full person on the other side of seminary? Yeah, I mean, the Ethan before seminary was drunk all the time and 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 really, you know, just didn't really think of himself as a student or as a scholar or as a professional or as an anybody, you know? Mm. I just kind of did stuff. 
and so seminary was was quite good for me and it helped me see different things about myself and the world and things like that and so i i quite i quite like seminary uh and and am very grateful for it um so this is one of the reasons why i'm so pumped about going back to school because a i i really felt like i thrived in that situation but but b this kind of school experience will be a really professional experience you know where yeah where yeah i'll be in classes but i'm also going to be you know kind of working for the school and 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 kind of function as an adult you know in, in that situation rather than kind of going right from high school to college and then right from college to seminary mm -hmm. I'll, I've, I'll have these three years of, of life and a kid and 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 you know all of this stuff to kind of pull from as I kind of go back to being a student and and the, the kind of work I, I'll be doing is will be different and so I'm excited uh, just to see then how I'll change kind of in the midst of all that too yeah. And that that is something that I found to be really important in my life was taking getting a job right out of college and doing that for years before I went back to grad school because that meant that like I knew I knew that I didn't have to just exist in school and I knew how to be a responsible adult about things. Um and it, it just, it makes a difference with how you approach your classes when you have been like budgeting on your own and you realize exactly how much you are wasting in any particular class, uh, dollar wise. Right, and right. Like that, like it, I think that was really helpful for me, which again, I, I would float between like relief with the commuter students of, oh, right, they know what the real world is. Okay, we're good. Uh, and then like frustration with the people who'd only ever been full-time students where I was like, you just don't get, like you're just missing some things here. Um, Cause there, like, there is just an experience difference. And, but like those things that they were missing were not always profound, but sometimes they were, we just, yeah. That each experience has its pros and cons. Um, yeah, but, but I do think seminary changes you in a, in the way that you, um, because you, you just know things that the people in the pews don't know. And I have a, a great desire to share a lot of that knowledge from seminary, right? Like there's no reason for me to keep this for myself. Absolutely. But I also acknowledge that there, so there was an amount of learning there that had to happen in that concentrated environment. and so. If we're going to go deep, I think it has to be like more likely it's going to be done in small groups and not from the pulpit. And that's why like small group ministries are so, so vital and why I'm so frustrated that my church doesn't have them. <laughs> well, my church has one and has had, they went through disciple over the years, but like I, I just want, I want to share what I have, but you also have to be, there's so much groundwork that has to be done. And, and you need to be in a place for longer. And I am unsure how long I'm going to be in this place. I just, I wish the I Methodist church would just be fully accepting and then I could deal with it. You know, then like I could sit down and hunker down and do this work. But because there is this tension of, is my denomination 
going to, how is my denomination going to accept me if they're going to accept me? Uh, I, it just makes it harder. It's this layer that doesn't go away. And I, I would love for it to, because <laughs> I would love to just spend time teaching people. But one day, one day we'll be in a world we'll, where I can do that and it'll be better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or, maybe or not. not. I oh. can see it not be good. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what do I do? Like, that's the, do I, do I suck it up? Cause that was the thing that I learned in seminary is that I have been sucking it up my whole life and it's okay to not to. Uh, and that like, actually I have built toxic structures within myself because I just had to suck it up and go on with life. And like, I, I had to undo those structures and then start healing. And now I'm going to have to like rebuild, I uh, like durability in a, in a healthy way instead of a way that was going to eventually cave in. And that, that emotional work is so hard and it's so hard to do it when like day by day, the church is undoing my foundation. The other day, my therapist told me that I needed to find somewhere to ground myself other than the church. And I was like, what a novel idea. Like, oh, (laughs) My worthiness is. is not found in my acceptance in the church. I uh, that goes against everything I was ever taught. Well, that's uh, I agree with her. I've been saying that for the la- to myself anyway for the last like uh, you know two years, where where I'm like obviously the church is not really the place for me, <laughs> right? In in terms of maintain being healthy and. And, and all that good stuff. And so I can't even imagine how it is for you. Um, well, we the listeners have listened to the podcast. I think we all yeah, know. They, they figured it out. They figured it out. Ugh, yeah. Yep. Today I had a congregant come in to talk to me before we, you and I started recording. And uh, they had, I had already, I, I assumed he wanted to talk to me about this letter that I wrote, you know, saying that I was leaving and, and all that. And he sort of did. And, and he, he's an older gentleman. He's, you know, maybe in his very, very early sixties, still really works a lot. It's an outdoorsy guy. He teaches Sunday school, conservative guy, but, but is really thoughtful mm-hmm. and we have a good relationship. And so he kind of came in and, was talking he was like i thought your letter was really well written pastor i you know really appreciate this i I have some different thoughts about conference he doesn't really like conference and the next pastor he goes but uh this phd thing you're doing i'm like yes do you think i could do ever do something like that oh man that's what he asked. I was actually really surprised. And uh, and he's like, what do you need to do in order to do something like that? And so we talked about theological education for a little while. And I was like, we're not that far from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. You could, you could apply and do something there if you wanted. He was like, you really think I could? I was like, I, absolutely. And so, you know, this kind of stuff's important. Yeah. I think I think our I think lots of people want to have this kind of knowledge. I just don't always think that they've been given permission. Not certainly not everybody can afford it. Like like I recognize that, 
But I think that uh, another element to that is that I don't think folks have been given permission to see that this knowledge is, is open. It's open knowledge. It's not, it's not reserved for the clerical caste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think that when people can't, don't feel like that this knowledge is available to them, they go and like try to find more and more devotional material. Like they, they're seeking for it, but they seek for it in like popular Christian authors and that right. there's only so deep that a popular Christian author like can go with the limitations of, of what the market kind of sets out for them. And I, yeah, yeah. I would love it if we would just normalize deeper theological thinking that you all there, it's also involves work. And, and if you take stuff out of context and you don't do the work, it can be kind of dangerous. So. Absolutely. But that's the same with anything with the Bible too. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, this is good, Joe. Yeah. This was good. I, I'm going to sign us off. If that's okay. Yeah. Friends, this has been another uh, mini episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will we? see you next time. Which oh, one? God. I, I, I revealed our fake names. <laughs> Let me try it again. Let me try it again. Friends, this has been another episode of what, a mini episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx, Reebok, and the Dude, and we will see you next time. <laughs>